holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Welcome to the More Perfect Union, the podcast that offers real debate without the hate. Tonight from the right, we have DJ McGuire, a sober conservative from Suffolk, Virginia, who is working on that. <laughs> and from the left, we have Rebecca Kushmeider, a progressive feminist from Kensington, Maryland. And I'm Kevin Kelton, a passionate moderate in Los Angeles, California. Greg Matusak is off tonight. But sitting in for Greg, we have what I consider a very special guest, a good friend of mine that goes way back, Jimmy Barron from Al- from Atlanta, Georgia. And Jimmy, tell us a little bit about your background and your political leanings. So I uh, was on the radio in Atlanta for about 16, 17 years, in total about 22 or 23 years. I did a uh, morning show on a... Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! a fairly big rock station here in Atlanta. And uh, I grew up in Chicago, so I'm probably a good old Chicago liberal uh, by definition. But I consider <laughs> myself a centrist only because – I mean center is left now, right? They're, center is left. Uh, you know, right is center. And anything further than that is kind of off the rails. So <laughs> – yeah, Jimmy, I like to say that uh, the, the political spectrum over the last three years has thrown me around like a Marshall Congressional Republic naval vessel dropping yeah. out of a 3G burn into combat maneuvers with no crash couch. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be tough for a conservative to now look at what our conservatives and think, wait, that's not that's not who I am. Yeah, tell me about it. Well, yeah, I mean, what used to be considered a conservative is now considered uh, basically a dinosaur. And it seems like the what are calling themselves conservative today are actually assholes. <laughs> right. <laughs> the new third party. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Jurassic not Party. To say any of us couldn't have joined the asshole party at one time in our lives. I think we all have that in us. But, you know, we've all voted free. asshole. <laughs> And before we get into politics, I wanted to share with you guys, I lived in Atlanta for a little while 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 Jimmy was on the radio. And when he says he was like on a fairly successful morning show, he's being a little humble. He was on this huge morning show in Atlanta, and it was so cool hanging out with him because occasionally he'd call me up and say, hey, you want to go to see such and such a concert downtown? I'd say, yeah, sure. And I'd go with him. And the oceans parted for Jimmy. There was no waiting on lines. He walked right into every venue. People knew him. It was like hanging out with a rock star. Um, I remember it very differently. But, uh, <laughs> I'll take it. 
And, and, and now look what he's reduced to. Yeah, and now I'm uh, now I'm a realtor. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. You know what? You know, I'll tell you what's hard about doing morning radio. You do this once a week, right? Yeah. Um, what I got tired of doing a morning radio show is every single day waking up and having to have an opinion on something new. <laughs> it's you know some days you wake up and you're like you know I don't really care who won the Tonys last night you know and yet you've got to and that ev- and every day you've got to come up with you know fresh ideas and have to have a take and after a couple of decades you get tired of that at least yeah. I do. <laughs> so you like you, you don't want to talk about Nicki Minaj's outfit or you know, right, I would have, yeah, I couldn't survive in morning radio. Too. I mean, I have no interest in it. I couldn't, I don't watch Netflix. I don't watch TV. I don't, I'm not plugged into uh, pop culture on any level. Uh-huh. <laughs> Great. Well, you'll be perfect for this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, Paul Manafort finally took a plea deal with special counsel Robert Mueller, which includes his cooperating. So, uh, Rebecca, what do you think that portends for the Mueller investigation and what does it portend for the rest of your life? I mean, I don't know what this portends for the Mueller investigation. I, it, it seems like one of the things Rachel Maddows pointed out is that Mueller's handed off a lot of his investigations to other prosecuting bodies, but he's kept his hands on the reins of everything pertaining to Manafort. So I, I assume that they think that he's got something big, whether it is something big pertaining to the Trump campaign or whether he's just going to you know, take down a whole lot of Russian and Ukrainian oligarchs is an open question. And I'd, I'd like to think we're going to get the answer because I'm very, very curious. But, you know, Bob Mueller doesn't seem to tell anybody anything these days. And how it's going to pertain to my life. I mean, I'm, I'm going to giggle when the feds take possession <laughs> of the the trump tower apartment that's that's fantastic you know probably the the best come up in so far i want Mueller to do what the american soldiers did when they took over saddam's right uh, palace right and they would go in there and sit in the chairs and yeah. smoke cigars <laughs> i want Mueller and his prosecutors to do the same thing oh my right. god a friend, of, a friend of mine was I can't remember if she was DOD or CIA, but she got to spend some time in Baghdad and actually talks about using Saddam's gold toilet. I think that's that's a peak memory for her. <laughs> okay, DJ, I, any I, gold I, toilets in your past? No, and I seriously do not expect Mueller to be sitting on Manafort's throne in Trump Tower. <laughs> but what is really interesting in this is that I took a look at I took a look at the revised indictment that they put forward in response to the plea deal. Manafort polluted. Everybody in his work for uh, for Yanukovych. And it just gives you an idea of really just how chummy and how problematic Washington is. And of all things, Donald Trump, by being the idiot that he is, might actually succeed in draining the swamp in ways he never intended. Because Robert <laughs> Mueller is going to drain the swamp for him. <laughs> He's got his hand on the plug. He is pulling so, Jimmy, what does a moderate think of all this? Well, my question is, OK, and, and I don't disagree with you, DJ, but do you think that Trump will come out unscathed? I'm not certain. Now, keep in mind, I'm on record as saying we already know that Trump did something impeachable because of the um, the straw donor scheme that he ran through Michael mm-hmm. Cohen. So keep that in mind. I'm 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 a little less vested in this than other folks because I'm already ready to bounce him out of office. I don't know because Manafort spent so little time with the campaign. I don't know how much he knows in relation to Trump himself. I do think he might know quite a bit regarding Roger Stone, 
with whom he worked for decades before the Trump campaign anyway. And, you know, the way Trump, the way Donald Trump does things, it's he, he fires people without ever really firing. It's kind of like George Steinbrenner and Billy Martin, for those of us who grew up in New York. <laughs> um, you know, there's actually kind of an apt comparison considering who, who Trump is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Manafort may have more on Trump Jr. and Kushner and perhaps on Roger Stone than on Trump directly. But I rule nothing out at this point. He was in that June 2016 meeting. The one that's where supposedly nothing happened. I refuse to believe that now. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, if if that meeting happened and he was in the room, I'm assuming that his ties to that lawyer whose name is completely escaping me must be deeper than we've realized at this point. I mean, there's it. It seems like there's a less than z- or a greater than zero chance that they were connected in some way outside of Trump circles. Are you referring to Melanistaya? Yes, that's I know her one. last name, not her first name. You know, I, I live in the deep south. I live in Georgia. And I mean, I walk amongst the people at these Trump Trump rallies. And I, I just think that at the end of the day, the average person just wants to know, all right, how is this going to affect Donald Trump? There's probably going to be a lot of people who go to jail, maybe even high up, maybe even family members. But I find it very difficult to imagine that anything is going to happen to Trump himself. I mean, he he really is the Teflon Don. Here's here's my take on it. First of all, I think that this might be very good for justice and democracy, not because I don't like Donald Trump, although I don't, and not because I dislike Paul Manafort, and I do dislike him. But, you know, if Manafort doesn't have anything on Trump, this may go a long way to clearing the president of any wrongdoing in the campaign. So in that regard, I think the fact that he's working with Mueller is a good thing for the Trump administration, assuming that Trump is innocent. Because this man could probably clear up a lot of things that I think might have happened, but I could be wrong. And a lot of people like me, a lot of Democrats, all the people who watch MSNBC all day, who are putting together these you know, these conspiracy theories about what happened and how the Russians colluded with the Trump administration. And he might disprove that stuff. So I think this is actually good for both sides. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, shedding light on all of this is a good thing. Yeah. Do you think there's anybody in that uh, administration that Trump would not throw under the bus, including direct family children? members? Yeah. Ivanka. I think she's the only one he would protect. I'm not even sure about that anymore. Yeah, I'm not yeah, sure either. Ivanka would throw herself under the bus for him. She might. That I buy. Or Jared. Oh my God, I, I bet he would throw Jared under the bus in a second. That's gonna be the. That's gonna be a great moment when it comes to if Jared versus the family. Oh, that's gonna be so good. <laughs> Let's talk the I word impeachment. So here's the thing. As I've been saying on this, I'm a broken record. As I've been saying almost every week for the last six months, if the Democrats win the House in November. It's very likely that when Mueller issues his report, there'll be enough in there for them to start investigations, impeachment hearings and committees, and eventually I think that they will pass articles of impeachment. But let's do a flowchart for a second. I'm going to do a verbal flowchart and lay this out. It's going to be a little bit long, but I want people to kind of follow this. Dear God, if there's a flowchart involved, I need more whiskey. <laughs> no, you're going to be fine. You'll follow it. Okay. First, first option. GOP holds the House. Trump is safe. He goes into 2020 and runs for re-election, and then we'll see what happens. Okay. Democrats win the House. 
Mueller is going to issue a report at some point. Democrats will start impeachment hearings. They will vote to impeach the president, one, two, three, five, however many articles of impeachment. Now it goes to the Senate. Okay, now we have more branches. On one side, Mitch McConnell runs a traditional Senate impeachment hearing or impeachment trial, which we saw in, in 1998 with Clinton, where it's an open trial, evidence is presented, and then the Senate votes, and most likely they do not vote to convict because there won't be 67 votes unless the crimes are so apparent that even people like Lindsey Graham and, you know, Mitt Romney and everybody else have to vote against him. But let's go to the other side of that. What happens if it gets sent to the Senate and Mitch McConnell decides to muck it up the way he's mucked up everything for Democrats for the last umpteen years? What happens if he decides he's going to make some of it closed hearings instead of public hearings? What happens if they use national security as a reason to stop certain people from from testifying? What happens if he doesn't let the process go forward? Then where are we? And I'd like to hear you guys, your take on that. Well, then we're fucked. And that is what he'll do. Mitch McConnell is a devious, skeevy little man. And that's exactly the kind of thing he would do. Merrick Garland. That's my point. I don't think he's going to just hold an open impeachment trial the way the, I guess the Democrats, no, the Republicans were in power in, in 1998. Who held... Who held the Senate then, DJ? Was it the Democrats or the Republicans? It was the Republicans who held the Senate in 1998 and 1999 when the trial took place of of Bill Clinton. Uh, and, you know, it was the – it's with every other sort of impeachment. The House managers came. You know, the, the, the House – Well, when you say with every other, there's only been two. But, there's only, but, but in terms of – I mean there have been two presidents impeached. There have been right. other impeachment – Right. There have been other impeachments. The chief justice was impeached back in the 1800s, and the rules are, are are pretty simple. The the House sends what they call managers who represent the House in terms of why they impeach. The right. chief They're justice the prosecutors, right? The, the chief justice presides over the impeachment proceedings. Uh, the chief justice is the one who makes rulings. So there really is there's less that Mitch McConnell can do than you think he can do. Well, that's my question. I know that I know that that's traditional thinking, but but maybe there's a lot more he could do that we haven't thought about yet. That's kind of my point. Well, we'll 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 find out if and when it happens. Uh, first, the Democrats actually have to win control of the House of Representatives. If the House if the House votes to impeach, then the Senate basically has to take it up, and there are certain rules and such. And the fact of the matter is, Mitch McConnell is interested in preserving and expanding a Senate majority. That's not the same thing as preserving the Trump presidency. If he decides that President Pence would be better for his Senate majority, assuming he still has it, than President Trump, then he may act accordingly. Well, I'm get, if we have a flowchart here on the More Perfect Union, you can be pretty sure Mitch McConnell somewhere has a flowchart for all these different possibilities in his evil little beady lair. So, Jimmy, the three of us live in blue states. You live in Georgia. What What is the take on Donald Trump down there amongst the people that you know? Obviously, you, you're not a perfect sample, but... 
Well, I live in the deep south, although I live in Atlanta, and Atlanta is uh, a lot different than, you know, once you go outside the yeah. perimeter, it's it's a whole, and you used to live there, so you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so where I live, people tend to be a little bit more uh, rational in their thinking. They are, you know, a little bit more educated. Uh, but when you go out, the media is the enemy. Donald Trump has done a very effective job of convincing the masses that the media is the enemy of the people, that they just make stuff up out of nowhere, that um, that really he, he may be a wild man in certain ways, but he hasn't done anything uh, uh, that every other politician hasn't done, which is not true. But this is, I mean, you know, this is the line they, uh, the, this is the line that they subscribe to. Uh, so, you know, what I see are people who it doesn't matter and none of this matters. They love Donald Trump and they're the ones voting for the, uh, the senators and congressmen. And I think that these guys are, are going to see which way the wind blows, you know, the, the politicians. And what do they want? In the end, they want to keep their jobs. Sad but true. Well, speaking of a guy who wants to keep his job and get a better one, Brett Kavanaugh may be up for a vote to come out of committee this week, but that uh, the, some monkey wrenches were thrown into the the wheels there with this new uh, allegation by a woman named Christine Ford, who uh, claims that he um, he accosted her violently in high school. Guys, what do you think? Is is this you know? First of all, what do you think of the fact that this came out so late in the game? What do you think of the fact that Diane Feinstein? didn't come forward with this information even without Miss Ford's name or Ms. Ford's name. It's dangerous to comment on this because if you say this woman was holding on to this story for 30 years, you know, who was you know, who, looking back over your life 30 years ago, does that have any relevance to what you're doing today? Because then, of course, the the other side will come in and say, well, you know, he sexually assaulted a woman. I didn't sexually assault a woman 30 years ago. Um, it speaks to his character. So it's uh, but I do think that the timing on it is a little suspect and I don't know. And I, I'm not a fan of his, but I don't know that I'm judging him as a Supreme Court justice based on this one. Now, if it became a Cosby situation where all of a sudden, or any, you know, any of the, or a Harvey Weinstein situation where all of a sudden they, these women started cascading out, you know, then it might be a little bit more relevant as far as I'm concerned. Well, he did lie about it when asked. So there's that too. Well, no, he gave his version of it. We don't know that it's a lie yet. I mean, I believe it's a lie, but we don't know it to be a lie. He does seem to have a pattern of misrepresenting the truth. If, if <laughs> yes, he does. He's he, he, right now. He, like his credibility is not great with me. Um, I'm. I, I ever since since the Ronan Farrow Jane Mayer story broke on Friday, I've just been heartbroken. I uh, it, it, like I wrote about it on the website. All I can think about is this poor woman who sat there and had to, you know, open up a newspaper and see that the guy who held her down and tried to rape her in 1982 is about to be appointed to the Supreme Court. What does that feel like? What like what does that feel like? This this thing that she's been living with for all these years and 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 the choice she has to make now is like she could tell her story, 
but she'll just be re-victimized all over again. The media, people like us, you know, questioning her veracity and how much does it actually matter? And, and, you know, is it as bad as we think? And all like, I've just been sad. I feel sad that we have to have this conversation and that she has to be the center of the storm when it's never anything she asked for. All she did was go to a party in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. It is quite possible given how drunk Kavanaugh apparently was that he may not actually remember this happening. He very well, this may very well have been something where he just where he had a blackout episode that doesn't absolve him. We'll need to sort through this. We'll need to sift through this based on what I saw in the Washington Post story this morning, where Miss Ford presented herself and said, "Yes, I am the accuser. I have no reason not to believe her." And frankly, if the Democrats were smart, and Democrats usually are not smart, unfortunately, <laughs> they would actually this. I would say this actually does have relevance to his jurisprudence. Because a guy who is that who was that unconcerned for someone's personal space in 1982 just happens to be a terrible jurist when it comes to the Fourth Amendment. He doesn't seem to show any concern for our personal space when it comes to the government and our Fourth Amendment rights that he pays no attention to. It may very well be that's because he did not really pay attention to anybody's personal space in 1982. This may be a universal problem. This may not just be something that worries Rebecca and the women of this country, not to discount their concerns. This should be something that maybe should worry all of us. So are you saying that his decision-making capabilities uh, have not changed in 30 years? Uh, Not if the Fourth Amendment is involved. (laughs) So I I think I fall somewhere in the middle here. I, I think I'm probably closer to Jimmy's thinking on this, which is if this happened, first of all, there was an attempt to accost this woman. It was never fully realized. I don't know whether that plays into this or not. But again, there is some there's some spectrum of behavior that we have to, as a society, figure out what is fireable offense or what is an offense that precludes you from being on the Supreme Court and what is an offense that we just condemn, but it doesn't necessarily go to that next step. The second thing is, if it did happen 30, 35 years ago, we can presume that the man has grown, but he did introduce, and, and the Republicans did introduce his character as a selling point for him. They hammered it every day of those hearings, what an upstanding human being and father and husband he is. So character does come into play here, and character, character doesn't start when you become a federal appeals judge. I would ask this to a Democrat uh, who is looking at uh, at, at Kavanaugh saying, who cares that it was 30 years ago? That's who he is. He should not be Supreme Court justice. Did you find, would you hold the same with uh, Al Franken? When those pictures came out, Democrats, I did. Really? Okay. Well, but, but Democrats. That's why he's gone. Yeah, that, no, that, we, most that's of us. That's why he's gone. And I mean, and with Franken, indeed, we did have the pattern situation. You know, we talked about wanting to see a pattern of behavior. I mean, what this demonstrates, and You know, I know a little bit about the school that Kavanaugh went to and the kind of community that he grew up in and what DJ is saying about the Fourth Amendment and privacy rights and the way he feels about, you know, a unitary executive. This is a guy who believes that authority should be fairly absolute um, and that, you know, people in positions of power get to take what they want. And it is demonstrated in how he feels about letting 
a young immigrant woman um, not get an abortion. And it's demonstrated in the fact that he is alleged to have held down, covered the mouth of, reached under the clothing of a school acquaintance of his. He is a guy who believes in taking things by force. And that is not somebody I want making judicial decisions for the next 40 years. Yeah, I agree. And I'm going to actually contradict myself because now that I think of it, in 2012, a story came out about Mitt Romney having held down a young man at prep school and I think forcibly cutting his hair. Do you guys remember that story? I do. I remember that that demonstrated that Mitt Romney had a very strong proclivity for conformity that I found a little bit alarming. Like, we all have to be the same. He couldn't stand a person being different. And I I didn't like that about him in his quest to become the executive of a a pretty multilateral society. Yeah, it, it bothered me at the time, too. That was, I mean, I would never have been for him anyways, but that I really did hold that against him there, and I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between these two stories. Um, but I think one thing that we could all agree on is it's so obvious what the Senate should do, what the right thing to do is. Look, Brett Kavanaugh, you know, he doesn't have a right to be a Supreme Court justice, but he certainly should be able to go through the process if indeed he is not guilty of these charges. But right now, it is so obvious that they should slow this down, that they should do some investigating, maybe have this woman come in and testify, maybe bring him back and have him give his version of it. But what they should not do is rush to a committee vote on Thursday and rush this to the floor next week. That is the absolute wrong thing to do with a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court. Now, that said, I think we all know that the GOP will not do the right thing. Well, I was going to say, it, yeah, it's, it's get, it, 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 they may be forced to at least explore doing the right thing. Because Jeff Flake is now saying that he doesn't feel comfortable voting unless he knows more about this. And the report I read this evening, I believe it was in Politico, has Chuck Grassley making calls to Kavanaugh, to the White House, and potentially to Ms. Ford to you know see, see what next steps there could be. And I don't think anybody would fault the Senate for... Reopening hearings and discussing. Well, they absolutely should do that. Right. No, that's that's the right thing. (laughs) Um, But Mitch McConnell doesn't want it. He wants to get this appointment sewn up. And, you know, and the other thing is, my minister was talking about this in church today because my minister is a a Hindu Unitarian minister talking about uh, Yom Kippur um, because that's the kind of church I go to. And he was talking about atonement and, you know, in the process of forgiveness and letting things go. And, Kavanaugh isn't demonstrating a willingness to atone. Even if, like DJ said, he was drunk as a skunk and doesn't remember this, you know, he could say, oh my God, if that happened, I don't recall it, but if it happened, that's awful. I feel so bad that I did that thing and I'd like to make it better somehow. And that would go a long way towards reassuring people. But this categorical denial with no self-examination, but I mean, and I'm sure there's legal reasons and, you know, and mitigating his own jeopardy. But, you know, to just to simply say, I don't remember this, but I would be appalled at myself if that were true. I'm so sorry that that would make me feel better. Okay, we as as a country are nowhere near being able to come to a conclusion about this. He has to be asked a couple of questions. First of all, he has to be asked, did you ever meet this woman? Okay, no one's asked him that yet, or he hasn't answered it. Number two, have you ever been at a house party where she was also present? Number three, 
If that, if you were at that party, did you find yourself in a room with her with one other gentleman? And number four, what happened in that room? He needs to address all of those. It's not enough for him to say, these allegations are scurrilous, they're untrue, I categorically deny them. He has to answer those specifics. Um, and by the way, you, you mentioned about him being drunk. There was something interesting. I don't know whether you guys caught this. In one of the articles I read today, the the other guy who supposedly was in the room, according to Mrs. Ford, the other Mrs. Ford, excuse me, the other guy that was in the room, coincidentally or, or ironically, his last name is Judge. I saw it. Yes, yes. For a second, I thought it was Mike Judge, and I'm like, oh shit, Beavis and Butthead? Yeah. What? It's <laughs> no, not it's Mark Mike Judge. It's, it's Mark Judge. It's close. Right. Um, but he apparently wrote some stuff on on social media or something about his days at that prep school. Oh, he wrote a memoir. He wrote a memoir, he wrote a memoir about memoir. his intoxication. Oh, and yeah. there was a there was a reference in the memoir, you caught this, DJ, yep. not to Brett Kavanaugh, but to a friend of his named Bart O'Kavanaugh. Bart O'Kavanaugh. Oh, oh, good heavens. Really? Who got roaring drunk and threw up. Yeah. Okay? So it's pretty obvious that, one, Bart O'Kavanaugh was Brett Kavanaugh. Other, right. other, otherwise, it's the biggest, uh, you know, coincidence oh, in history. Oh, my God. I just figured this out. I figured out how Kavanaugh is going to save his nomination. We are going to hear from somebody with, and I don't have their name, but they will be they will be Brett Kavanaugh's AA sponsor, and he will <laughs> he will wha- he or she will wax lyrically about how Brett has dealt with the demon rum and how he put it aside, and that's how he's going to pull his chestnuts out of the fire. <laughs> well, I don't think you, know you really think that's going to happen. If he's been in AA, he then does need to ask for forgiveness of this woman because that is one of the ten steps. Even I know that. And by the way, there was also rumors of him having a gambling problem. So this guy has a lot to answer for. Yeah, well, that had to do with like his weird ticket purchases to baseball games. I mean, there, yeah, there's. Hey, no, if, if a being lot. a baby, he's, he's a bad nominee. Hey, if he's being just a, baby, a bad, he's a bad nominee. nominee. Just putting putting one thing: if if being a baseball fan is wrong, I don't want to be right. I'm just saying. <laughs> The More Perfect Union podcast, now heard on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. It's better than staying at home and listening to Michael Bolton. (laughs) (laughs) Mostly better. Okay, well, we'll, we're well into the podcast, and there's a lot of issues that we haven't even touched on. I mean, Hurricane Florence is happening. Trump came out this week and tried to disassociate himself with, you know, 1,000 to 3,000 deaths that happened pursuant to the... um, the actual hurricane, Hurricane Maria last year. That's again because he's just a horrible human being. Again, I want to go back to this uh, FEMA presidential text alert that's coming out on Thursday. Doesn't this feel like the precursor to martial law? No, it feels like the Amber Alert system to me. Like, the, the, oh, it, it, that's no, no, a benign. What it is? I mean, take on it. I, no, 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 no. Hang on, hang on. This is what it is. I'll answer both your questions. Beep, beep, beep. This is the Emergency Obstruction of Justice Channel. <laughs> In the case of an actual indictment, you would hear reasons why the indictment is false, silly, and why everyone involved should be fired. This is a conclusion of the test of the Emergency Obstruction of Justice Channel. Goodbye. <laughs>
I, all I'm thinking of is like, what was the emergency alert that went off in Hawaii that fouled? Yeah. I mean, I I just feel like if it's a FEMA alert system, it it would be any president, and they're they're probably just trying to tell find ways to to tell us to duck when the bombs are coming. And I don't know. I mean, I I I really don't think Trump is going to grab my pussy via text. I I don't. I mean, it's not impossible. <laughs> Obviously, but, uh, well, we can all agree it's I mean, it's a horrible name. Now, you know, it was Obama who signed this in, into being a thing. I mean, this was actually back from 2012. Obama was the one who uh, launched it. But uh, the presidential, uh, whatever they call it, presidential or does sound very North Korea. Yeah. Yeah. That's my that's my feeling, too. Yeah, but. If all goes well, we'll never actually get one of these alerts. No. Because, I mean, if it does have to do with actual emergencies, hopefully there won't be one. So Nikki Haley uh, was in the news this week, even though she shouldn't have been. What, what happened with those curtains that, again, were ordered apparently by the State Department back in 2016 to be put into the ambassador's New York apartment? Or is it D.C. or New York? No, it's New York because the U.N.'s in New York. Yeah, and, and- right. I mean, it seems like they they changed the ambassador's residence completely. Like they they moved it to a different location and and had to you know furnish it from scratch. Like it wasn't even finished. I think they were having to put up drywall and shit too. And they ordered these curtains. Then the price tag was fifty two thousand dollars. I'm like, you know, I bought some curtains at Bed Bath and Beyond, and they weren't that much. So I, I I don't know what kind of curtains these were. That seems like an awful lot of money. I would really like to know more about this. But it's not Nikki Haley's fault. Yeah, but uh, the New York Times really uh, screwed the pooch on that one. Not a lot of clicks, though, man. That you know, I guess they weren't sure the Manafort thing was going to happen, and they were trying to get a quota for the end of the week. Uh, uh, the other thing that we wanted to talk about this week is the GOP donors are taking a walk away from the party. Um, you know, they talked about the walk away movement that allegedly is happening on the liberal side of the equation, although I b- don't believe that. I think it's just a Russian... Yeah, a lot of, yeah, a lot of Russian bats... Or a lot of Russian bots are walking away from the Democratic Party. We didn't <laughs> right. even know they were there. But now there Russian are real... Russian bats, too. <laughs> Russian yes, bats, too. <laughs> but now there are real live Republicans who are, especially big donors, who are walking away from the Republican Party. Les Wexner who I'd never heard of, but apparently he's a, a major oh, Republican donor in Ohio. Well, he's a major Republican. You have heard of him. You just don't know that you've heard of him. He is the founder of um, The Limited and Express and Victoria's Secret and Bath and Body Works. Those are all um, L, L brand enterprises. And Wexner is a force in Columbus. There's an entire museum on the Ohio State campus called the Wexner Center for the Arts. And he's, he's a huge patron of the arts. And I don't think I knew it, 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 during my years in Columbus that he was a major Republican donor, but it doesn't surprise me at all. Apparently, after Trump was elected, he resigned his membership in the Republican Party quietly and has been writing letters to lawmakers that he supported in the past and said, listen, I just need you to know I'm an independent now. Um, But I'm guessing that means he's not giving money to um, the state party anymore or any Republican organizations. He may still be giving money to individual candidates, but if they've gone full Trumpy, he might not be doing it. So it, that could be a big loss in Ohio. And as we all know, Ohio is the bellwether. Yep. And then a guy named Seth Klarman, again, someone I'm not familiar with. Yeah, I I found this, uh, I came up with, found, stumbled across this uh, today, actually. 
Uh, he is a big Republican donor in New England. Apparently, he is the largest. He's the largest Republican donor in all of New England, and he's throwing all he's throwing his money now to Democrats because he wants a he wants a check and balance against President Trump, which is a very big deal not just for Congress for the congressional elections, but it may also very well help Governor Ray Mondo in Rhode mm-hmm. Island, who is a very good moderate Democrat. Frankly, in any other environment, she might be talked about as a 2020 presidential candidate. In this one, everybody's talked about it as a Democratic presidential candidate, so there you are. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, you and I, DJ, apparently are Democratic presidential candidates. Yeah, apparently candidates. we are. Yeah, Surprise. all the time. I mean, yeah, you, me, I and actually, John Delaney. I, I, I actually – well, hey, I actually like John Delaney. But I know you I, like John Delaney. He's I, the I, only I, one declared so far. You could be number two, Dej. Come on. Yeah. I, well, I actually threatened. I actually threatened to do it once, and much threatened to do it about a week ago. And much to my shock, three people actually liked the threat. Very strange times we live in. But the main point here is that some of the big, some of the folks who have written the checks for Republican candidates for years and years and years are just not willing to do it anymore because they look at Donald Trump and they just go, "Ew." Yeah, don't you think this was just really a matter of time? I mean, you know, the Bernie Marcus, I'm sure, is uh, will fall at some point. Uh, I mean, when it starts affecting their standing in the business community, I don't know how anybody couldn't have predicted that smart people would not have stuck around uh, Trump. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Jimmy. And I think the big thing is Trump's nonsense on trade and his insistence on raising tariffs and everything. He's going to he's going to throw another 10 percent tariff on 200 billion of, of imports from China again. Uh, it's going to it's essentially going to be the Christmas tax. All sorts of Christmas gifts are not going to be more expensive. And it may not be something that the average American notices, but it is something that donors notice because the businesses that they run are getting affected by it and hurt by it. And they're like, no, this is not why we support a Republican candidates. What the hell do you think you're doing? Well, I mean, and, and like Wexner, it makes perfect sense because I imagine he sources everything in China and Indonesia. You know, he's he's probably got factories all over the place. These terror, you know, he was he was appalled on moral grounds, but it's going to start hurting his bottom line, too. It's just really interesting to me that, you know, okay, so when Trump won, you know, the majority of his uh, the majority of his of his uh, supporters were blue collar, probably uneducated white people. And there but there were also a lot of corporate there were a lot of corporate people who also supported because they liked his position on taxes. They recognized that he was a maniac, but they liked his his, his uh, business dealings, or at least his you know what he was going to do with the business world. But those people are jumping off the ship because they see that actually he's not good for business. What's funny to me is that people who it really affects, like the the, the workers. Who are being affected by it. they still support him even though they re- they don't realize that what they thought they were supporting is actually screwing them and yet they still support him because well, he know, doesn't like immigrants this is a lot like the folks who insisted on fighting for the confederacy despite the fact that they didn't own any slaves this is a lot like the folks who insisted on supporting yes. various racially backward candidates and everything it's about tribalism it's about yes. I am I am who I am, and this is someone who likes who I am and who doesn't like those other people, just like I don't like those other people. There's a lot more ethnic animus behind the durability of Trump supporters than a lot of people like to admit. And they disguise it by saying, well, we like his economic policies. 
Well, and right. Ross too had yeah, was right. speaking about this this morning in the Times. He he was talking about a recent poll that delineated between church-going conservatives and non-church-going conservatives, and those who don't attend church regularly, who aren't part of a religious community, they place a higher premium on their own whiteness than the more religious folks do. So what you're saying about tribalism and ethnicity really comes into play because when you don't have a strong other identity, be it religious, be it, I don't know, your school, your university, whatever, you decide to pick something else to identify with a group about. And apparently being white is the thing that really, really gets their fire roaring. And Trump caters to that. Uh, Finally, I'd like to get nostalgic for a moment and harken back to a story that I think you'll all remember. It's the Bob Woodward book. Uh, from seven days ago. <laughs> Let me educate you guys. You may not remember. There was a, there's a gentleman named Bob Woodward who wrote a book called Fear. It was a big story back seven days ago. Um, <laughs> did anybody Has anybody else read it? I'm about halfway through. Anybody else have read it I haven't read, read it. Yet? it. Yeah, it's, I, I've got three other books I need to read first, but I do want to read. I, I'm wondering how different it is from the Michael Wolf book other than being written better. Actually, the Wolf book was much more entertaining. Uh, Jimmy, have you had a chance? I haven't. I haven't. Uh, but it is on my to-read list. I have not had a chance to look at it, but it is my, my birthday is coming up next month, and it is part of my birthday wish list. There you go. You can now get about five copies. Uh, well, um, I'll, I'll tell you – I'll give you the Kevin Cliff notes, or the Kevin notes, I guess we can call them. Kevin notes. First of all, uh, it's Bob Woodward, so it's really kind of a dull read. (laughs) (laughs) That was my first takeaway. The other thing is, it didn't hit me as that dysfunctional a presidency. It actually struck me as a lot of people who had their own agendas and were trying to advance them with a president who they knew was really not fully in control of his emotions or the facts but it didn't feel to me a lot of times that they they were Woodward was describing a meeting and I'm going well this sounds like a presidential meeting to me with Donald Trump in it but other than that it just sounds like a typical meeting frankly that doesn't really reassure me it only frightens me more because it tells me that there there are enough people around Donald Trump who know his agenda and who like his agenda to push it forward i know and this is just brings me back to the sort of the great political Rorschach test that is known as chief of staff, John Kelly. Uh, John Kelly is either the guy who is trying to bring some order to the Trump white house and just keep everything from going off the rails. And he is the adult in the room or he is the great enabler because he shares Trump's idiotic views on immigration. And he's just trying to keep everything stable so that he can throw as many Brown people out of the country as possible. Your view on John Kelly will basically tell me your view on the Trump administration. Either you think it's an interesting bunch of folks who every now and then sort of shoot off into nether netherland, but who are generally seem to have some idea of what they're doing, or it is a bunch of people who should never have been allowed anywhere near the White House, but unfortunately the Electoral College put them there. I'm in the latter camp. So am I. I get that. But the (laughs) fact that the fact that the administration appears to be largely functional tells me that Trump is getting what he wants more than he's not getting what he wants, and that really doesn't make me feel better. Uh, with that in mind, we want to thank everyone for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at hashtag MPU Podcast and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. 
and share our link on your Facebook timeline so your friends can discover us as well. And don't forget to look at our website, www.moreperfectunionpodcast.com, where you can find commentaries and articles that we write during the week. And if you like political debate as much as we do, and you would like to debate with people like us, or for that matter, with us, uh, between shows, we're all in a debate group on Facebook. It's called Open Fire Politics. We're all there. We'd love to see you there, too. And with that, any last thoughts on the week to come? I want to see Jared flip. (laughs) I want to see him have a crisis of conscience and just flip like a gymnast. I want to see Jared (laughs) Kushner doing freaking handsprings all through the White House on his way to find Joel. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers!